You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to your second attempt of the day for us to try to record a, uh, a podcast for you guys here on uh, on Big Blue View. Please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View radio network. All right, uh, Ed Valentine and Tony Del Genio of Big Blue View here. We tried earlier today to, to get you guys a show, but... Uh, some really nasty weather here in upstate New York was was messing with the internet connection. So hopefully here a few hours later, a uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of of, of lightning of, of the weather uh, here uh, where I live. So hopefully we'll get through this show uninterrupted. And uh, Tony will be talking. Uh, we'll be talking Giants and Saints. And uh, as we tried to say earlier this morning. There, there's really just not a whole lot to say about that game, at least not a whole lot of positive things to say. No, not a lot. I uh, I found it pretty disheartening on both sides of the ball to see how ineffective the team was. And, it, you know, as as I've looked into it more over the course of the day with, with PFF grades coming out and things like that and, and, and looking at the stats from the game and so on and so forth, I, I feel a little bit better about things on the offensive side of the ball, not so much on the defensive side of the ball, but still it, any, any way you, you look at it, it was a bad game for the giants. It was a game that I think many people certainly expected the giants to at least be competitive in, if not, if not win. And, and really, really a, 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 by the, by the second half, they weren't competitive at all. No, let's put it this way, Tony, the, uh, the entire Big Blue View staff drank the Tommy DeVito Kool-Aid. Everyone on our staff who picked the game using the uh, the Tally Site app that we use to uh, to post our predictions, every single one of our Big Big Blue View writers, including you and I, of course, picked the Giants to win that game. And uh, we we don't look real good having done that. Yeah, I mean, and I can, I mean, I can tell you. I think what what a lot of us expected, certainly what I expected, is that the Giants' pass rush has gotten going lately, and Derek Carr is is widely known as a quarterback who is very affected by a strong pass rush. He's a he's a he's a very good quarterback, but only when he's kept clean. When he has time to throw and time to find his receivers. He can pick you apart, and 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 we saw a demonstration of that yesterday. But when but when you put pressure on him, hit him a few times, uh, he's a completely different quarterback. And with the Saints' best offensive lineman being out, uh, Ryan Ramzik, uh, yesterday, I thought, and I think a lot of people thought that the Giants' defensive line and pass rushers would just feast on on Carr, and instead they they 
barely laid a glove on him all all day. And I think that to me, that was the most disheartening thing about the game. Right. We didn't see anything that I think we thought we might see. We didn't see pass rush. We saw Saints wide receivers run wide open all day long, even though, you know, Chris Olave's out of the out of the New Orleans lineup. Michael Thomas is out of the New Orleans lineup. The Saints have struggled most of the year to defend the run. And yet Saquon Barkley had 14 yards on nine carries. The Saints have been one of the poorer teams in the league in terms of pass rush. And yet we once again saw breakdowns in that Giants offensive line. Seven sacks, I think nine hits on Tommy DeVito. Just another another poor effort you know, all the way around. I think I, you know, in the kudos and wet willies this morning, honestly, I I picked on Justin Pugh and the pro football focus grades back that up. I think Pugh's grade was 29.5. I think he was charged with two sacks and six overall pressures. And But by and large, I just said, look, the, the entire offense deserves a wet willy, and so does the defense deserve a wet willy. Just about the only player on the on the entire team who didn't deserve a wet willy yesterday was, was Jamie Gillen, who, you know, <laughs> give, him, give him props for uh, – for making a 40-yard field goal filling in for Randy Bullock but uh but really nothing worth praising other than Gillen's effort on on Sunday. Yeah, and 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 you have to give Gillen credit not just for making the field goal, but you know, 40 yards and he drilled it right down the middle. It would have been good from longer, much longer than 40 yards too and it was it was a nice-looking field goal. So, uh, that made me, uh, feel good at least, but you know, you, I mean, you, you talked about the performance of the, of the offensive line. And I think there were obviously Justin Pugh's day was terrible and, and you didn't even have to be paying close attention to notice that. I mean, you saw, you saw the stunts that they were running his way that he failed to pick no. up. You, uh, you saw one play where he just got pushed back into, into Tommy DeVito, uh, by the defensive lineman, you could tell he was having an awful time. Um, it turns out, though, that that of those seven sacks that Tommy DeVito took, PFF only blamed the offensive line for three of them, two of them on Pew and one of them on John Michael Schmitz, who didn't have a very good day either. Uh, but they, they attributed, I think, uh, four of the seven sacks to DeVito himself, which means they thought that he was holding on to the ball too long, not getting rid of it. And in fact, on the plays where he was pressured, PFF says his average time to throw was 3.59 seconds. And so you can, you can, you can, you know, you have to guess right now until people look at the film and, and try to diagnose what the saints were doing defensively to him, but either he wasn't seeing open guys or the saints were giving him looks where he was confused and it looked to him like no one was open when maybe there were players that were open. You know, we don't know the explanation for it, but whatever the reason, he was just holding on to the ball too long yesterday. Right. Let's let's talk about both of those topics, Tony, and let's start with Tommy DeVito. And Brian Dable was clear Sunday after the game and again this morning that DeVito is going to remain as the starting quarterback. Now, I think that's the right decision. I think that we've seen and we already know 
it would be very, very surprising if the Giants don't move on from Tyrod Taylor at this point. If they were going to go back to Tyrod Taylor, I think you would have done that a couple of games ago when he came back and and when there was at least some semblance of reality to the idea that the Giants might make a playoff run. To me at this point, it makes no sense to go back to Tyrod Taylor. I think the Giants have telegraphed that Tyrod Taylor is not in their plans for next year. Yeah, I agree I with that. Yeah, I think we I think we don't know if Tommy DeVito is part of their plans next year, despite the three weeks of DeVito mania, DeVito magic, all of that. There's a lot of advanced stats that will tell you that DeVito, despite winning some games, hasn't played all that well. The QBR is pretty poor. The time to throw is pretty poor. The Giants have protected him in a lot of ways by not asking him to do a whole lot. He made some big throws against Green Bay in that game. But I think the Giants at this point, they have to keep running him out there to find out if he can be part of their quarterback room in uh, in 2024. You agree with that? You agree with that? I agree with that completely. And, you know, I really feel bad for Tyrod Taylor because – Tyrod Taylor is a nice quarterback. I, you know, he's he's been a starting quarterback in this league. He took Buffalo to the playoffs one year. He was the starting quarterback for the Chargers and lost a job only because a doctor punctured his lung with a shot before a game, uh, and and Justin Herbert took over, and that was the end of that story. Uh, so, yeah, in in some ways, Tyrod Taylor has just not gotten a fair shot. Uh, in in the NFL, as long as he's he's been here, I mean, he's played a lot, but but he's never he, he's rarely really just been been able to to to, to stake his claim uh, for an extended period of time as a starting quarterback, and he does a lot of good things. But if you are looking at this from the Giants' point of view, then in my opinion, uh, number one, since now we're we're well back into the into the top into the the heart of the top ten with the Giants' uh, first draft pick at the moment, unless they do the unbelievable and and win one of their games against Philadelphia, they're probably going to stay within the top five or six or or seven picks. Uh, we don't know what Joe Shane and his staff think of the quarterback prospects that are out there to be drafted this year, but let's assume that there's more than just two of them that they like. Let's assume that even if Caleb Williams and Drake may are gone, there's still a couple of others, whether it be Jaden Daniels or JJ McCarthy or Michael Penix or, or yeah, whoever, right? Uh, assuming that I, I will be shocked if the giants don't draft a quarterback in the first round this year myself. And, and to me, they have to go into 2024 with a, a a high draftee with Daniel Jones, whom they're tied to next year, regardless uh, because of his contract. And then they need a third quarterback and they have to see whether Tommy DeVito could be that third quarterback or even that second quarterback, right? For, for the future, Tyra Taylor won't figure into that if for no other reason than because he he costs too much and you don't want someone outside your your starting quarterback to be making five million dollars if you can avoid it or whatever you know he he would command uh next year so 
I think they have to go into next year with three quarterbacks and and zero certainty about any one of them. But the longer they play DeVito this year, the more certainty they can start to have about what he might and might not be able to be. Right. Even if he's only a short term, you know, fill in at the beginning of the season until Daniel Jones is ready, I can certainly see a scenario where, as you said, where the Giants, for example, draft Jaden Daniels, but go into the season looking at it like they want as much of a redshirt year for Jaden Daniels or whatever quarterback they draft, and they want to go as far into the season as possible you know, before they put that quarterback out on the field, which means it would be DeVito or Jones or or whoever until such time. And before we change topics, I want to get to the offensive line. I just want to say this quickly about Tyrod Taylor. Like you, I feel bad for Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor did only one thing wrong this year. Tyrod Taylor broke four ribs trying to trying to run for a first down. And that's the only thing he did wrong this year and but it but it's it's emblematic of the kind of star-crossed unfortunate career that that the man has had so so I do feel bad for Taylor but the right decision is to uh, is to continue with DeVito at this point Tony let's talk about the offensive line a little bit obviously disappointing for performance on Sunday step back from the week before when they didn't give up any sacks, when they didn't give up more than a couple of pressures. Obviously, as you said, pro football focus maybe didn't didn't grade the performance as badly as the eye test might have graded it, as badly as seven sacks said that that they played. And yet, when you look at that performance, it just points out some of the decisions that the Giants have to make next year. We know they have a decision to make about Evan Neal. We know, you know, Ben Bredesen, who is a good player, and I think a guy who could be, if he was your first guy off the bench as your first interior guy, as your your kind of swing guard and backup center, I think that's a really good place for Ben Bredesen, but I'm not sure he's a 17-week starter. I look at Justin Pugh, and I like Justin Pugh as a person. I really do. I think that Justin Pugh has been a net positive for the Giants simply because he's brought some stability. He's brought some leadership to that room. But the brutal reality of it is Justin Pugh has not played all that well. He's still a 33-year-old guy. He'll be 34 next year. He's still coming off a major knee injury. And you have to look at Justin Pugh. And as I said in the in the kudos and wet willies on Monday morning, I can't advocate right now for Justin Pugh, who has a one-year contract. I can't advocate for him to be part of this team next year. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And so then that leaves you on the offensive line, you know, not much farther along than you were coming into the season. Now uh, you've got Andrew right. Thomas, uh, you know, the and as long as he can stay healthy, um, he's a fixture there at left tackle. You've got John Michael Schmitz, who's been up and down during the year. He did, he, did, he had far from his best game yesterday, but I'm, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm bullish about him longer term. I think he's mm-hmm. going to grow into the position. I think he does enough good things out there that uh, that 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 he'll be solid at center, and that the Giants should just kind of forget about that position for at least a year or two, and 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 give him a chance to develop. It still leaves you three out of the five positions on the offensive line that are totally up in the air. And unfortunately, one of the many things that injuries do to you is that they prevent you from, from evaluating players that you want to evaluate. I and mean, this is the problem with Daniel Jones is that they, they wanted to evaluate him fully this year and see, you know, what, what could they really get out of him? And now they won't be able to answer that question until next year. With Evan Neal, they wanted to see if he could improve from his rookie, his terrible rookie season. And while he was out there, he certainly didn't show signs of improving. But now having missed so many games uh, with another ankle injury and who knows when he's going to get back on the field. uh, Do you really want to put him out there? his first time back against the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know know if that's what you, what you want to do. And so, uh, you know, they, they really are in a quandary with, with the offensive line and, and it's hard to tell how much of it is the coaching. It's hard for me to believe some of it's not the coaching since I, you know, where, where have you seen improvement by any player on the offensive line over a two-year period. And I don't think I can say I've seen improvement really anywhere. So I have to think they have to go elsewhere for, for a coach. But but I also think probably they're going to have to have to acquire at least one new tackle and one new guard during during the offseason. I agree with you that Bredesen is better suited as as like the swing guard, as you say, or the or the swing guard and center, if you want, uh, rather than rather than one of the starters. But again, you still have to find, you know, three starters somewhere from that group. And so it's a tall order that Joe Shane faces. Absolutely. And the other part of, you know, injuries and all of that that we've talked about, it's another lost year for Josh Azudu. You know, Marcus McKethan lost his entire rookie year and showed that showed this year that in the time that he did play, that missing that year hurt him. So both of those guys, we don't know exactly what they are, and you can't exactly pencil them in and and count on either of those, you know, young players for anything. So it's it's a rough situation. It really is. And I'm not here to argue about whether Evan Neal should be a tackle or a guard or 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 whatever he should be. I all I've said next year is that wherever they're going to put him. Um, he should be in a competitive situation for that job. Yeah. Whether they're going to put him inside or outside, just make him compete for the job. And the only, to me, the to me, the only certain thing once the season is over is that Joe Shane get Tyree Phillips signed to a contract for for twenty twenty four, so that they at least know that they have a backup option at right tackle uh, that then gives them the freedom to to do other things. And if you if if things don't work out and you have to go into the season starting Tyree Phillips at right tackle, well, it's not what I would prefer, but it's at least it at least gives you an option. I mean, he's at least kind of acceptable 
there. He certainly isn't the guy I want as my starter. He's somebody I think would be perfectly fine being being the swing tackle on that line. So, so geez, get him get him signed to a contract for 2024. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that entirely. To me, Phillips is an adequate player at best. And, and the thing that I never understood, that I never understood about, about cutting Tyree Phillips is, I'm not sure Tyree Phillips can play left tackle. I mean, he's he's a, he's a big guy. He's not exactly, you know, his his footwork isn't exactly great. I'm not sure you want him over at left tackle. But Tyree Phillips has experience at both guard spots. He's he's a guy who can back up at three, maybe four positions, do a decent job as a fill-in. I never understood that. But you're right. I don't want Tyree Phillips as a week one starter who you look at and say he's my 17 game answer at, at right tackle because I don't think that's a I don't think that's a good recipe long term. Yeah, and I think uh I yeah, I, I think they, they they still need so much help on the offensive line that that there's got to be a combination of free agent signings and draft picks that's gonna have to happen. Um I I th- I think they have to. I mean, offensive tackles are hard to find in free agency because the good ones are going to really cost you a lot if they if they even get to, to free agency. So I think they're really going to have to use a, a draft pick. I don't want to see them use day one. I don't want to see them go go offensive tackle in round in round one. But when they get to round two, I I kind of think since they have two picks in round two, making one of those an offensive tackle would would be far from the worst idea in in the world. And then maybe sign a guard as a free agent during the offseason and then draft a guard on on day three or something, you know, something along those lines or even in round three or, or, or something. But I think they, you know, they really do need to take another big swing at the offensive line during the offseason and not excluding getting a new offensive line coach. Tony, let's talk a little bit about the final three games of the season for the Giants. Obviously, two of those against the Eagles, and we don't know if the last one is going to mean something for the Eagles, although the way the season is shaping up, it probably will. Is it a, two games against the Eagles, one against the Rams who are fighting for a playoff spot? There's a distinct possibility that the Giants are going to wind up at 5-12, and 12, not winning another game this season. But uh, when I look at the last three games, I get asked all the time, well, shouldn't the Giants play more young players? You know, shouldn't they be giving the young guys a chance at this point? You know, because the season's pretty much lost. And I keep going back to uh, a stat that they call snap weighted age. And if you go by that, the only team in the league playing a younger roster than the Giants is the Green Bay Packers. But in my mind, there's still maybe a couple of young players over the last three games that we could see more of or that that would benefit the Giants to see more of. I'm thinking about Trey Hawkins, who was up and down at cornerback, but let's be realistic. I love Adoree Jackson. He's a good dude. He's a pretty good player, but I think he's entering his age 29 or 30 season next year. I would be shocked if the Giants – Pay Adoree Jackson the kind of money that Adoree Jackson's going to want this offseason. 
They're probably going to be looking at a cornerback to replace him. I think they're good with Tay Banks. They're good with Cordell Flott. They're going to need somebody on the outside. I think it would behoove them to play some, to play Trey Hawkins some down the stretch. I think it would be a good idea to see more of Jordan Riley, defensive tackle down the stretch. He played about 30% of the snaps this week. I'd like to see that continue, if not rise a little bit. We talked a little bit about Marcus McKethan. Um, maybe with the guard situation that the Giants have, maybe it wouldn't be a horrible idea to get him back into the lineup and see uh, if he's made some progress since the beginning of the year. The only other one I can think of, to be honest with you, is, is Eric Gray. I wouldn't mind seeing Eric Gray get Matt Breida's snaps over the last two or three weeks. See if Gray can show you anything that gives you an indication he can be part of that the backfield rotation going forward. Because right now I'm not sure. But those are those are the only players I can think of offhand who I'd really like to see get you know, get a handful more snaps the rest of the way. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good list. I've been mystified at how little playing time Eric Gray has gotten during the season. I thought that they would try to start rotating him in on a fairly consistent basis for even just like one or two series every every game. But they 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 clearly have not seen enough from him to, to make them feel that, that, that they should, should do that. And that, that disappoints me because I thought he was a pretty good back and a pretty good use of a, of a fifth round draft pick. Uh, and, and, and I still have hopes that he can, that he can be, uh, be a good player like that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's worthwhile to, to, to see whether these, these interior offensive linemen uh, can, can show anything during the last, a couple of weeks of the season, they've got nothing to lose because for all of the hand wringing about the Giants' pass protection, the Giants' run blocking has been absolutely terrible this year. I mean, one of the things that that wasn't talked about too much about yesterday's game is that the Saints' defensive line was supposed to be not good at all against the run, and they just like stacked up the Giants every time the Giants tried to try to run the ball and you know when when Saquon Barkley's getting what is it 14 yards on nine carries against the line like that that's telling you that the, that the run blocking is is just terrible and that's a problem for a team like this that doesn't have an explosive passing offense at the moment that te- type of team is supposed to win games by by ramming the ball down down your throat and then taking opportunities to pass when you get when you get the 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 defense creeping up to the line to try to to try to cut off the run but but the giants are just not able to run effectively against the majority of teams that that they play and so uh, that's another mystery to me as to as to why they're not a better run blocking team and and uh well could it can can a back like eric gray show anything when when you don't have a, a line that can open holes for it. I don't know the answer to that, but I still think it's worth giving him a few shots to see whether whether he can take advantage of what might be, you know, not very large holes to get through. Now, one of the interesting things about the Giants and run blocking, I know that that's something you've been talking about for a good chunk of the season. 
and and it's absolutely a worthwhile topic but i think one of the things to remember also is that that's always been the kind of back that saquon barkley has been always a lot of nothing 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 and then boom one or two big plays and all of a sudden he's got a five yard you know per carry average in a game when when the great majority of his carries went for nothing um the the hard part about yesterday was I don't think the Giants had enough plays and they weren't in the in the second half they weren't in the game long enough to make it to make it even worthwhile to give Barkley the ball. I don't even think he played much in the fourth quarter but yeah. but I do think it would be nice I do think you know the the run blocking isn't what it needs to be. But I also think sometimes that's just what Saquon is. He's just a guy who's who's going to get a lot of nothing and then and then break a big one for you. You know, one thing before we get off the offensive line topic, actually two more things. I want to talk for a minute about Mark Lewinsky for the simple reason that I find this to be hilarious and completely typical of a fan base. New York Giants fans spent all of last season killing Mark Glowinski and killing the Mark Glowinski signing because the Giants signed Glowinski and he's not a star. All right. He was throughout his career in Indianapolis, throughout his career before coming to the Giants, he was always an adequate, average starting right guard. That's exactly what he was for the New York Giants a year ago. That's exactly what Joe Shane knew he would be. And that's what Joe Shane had the money to pay for. He didn't have much money in free agency. He was left a salary cap mess by Dave Gettleman. He couldn't go out and sign top of the market. He signed Glowinski to be a placeholder, to be adequate while he tried to build around him. And this year, for the last few weeks, I haven't fully understood why the Giants have buried Glowinski, although I think it has to do with the fact that they know he's not part of this team next year. But what I find, the only thing I was going to say, Tony, that I find hilarious is week after week now, what I'm seeing in the comments at Big Blue View and what I'm seeing online is the Giants offensive line sucks. Why have they buried Glowinski? And and I just find that hilarious because fans spent all of last year and the entire offseason killing the man. Yeah, I I agree with you on on Glowinski. And you know, I think the, the problem with Glowinski is that is that his reputation in, in Indianapolis was that he was a good run blocker, but a less than good pass blocker. And I think you saw that in, in his first season with the giants that he pretty, pretty much played to, to that, to that reputation. And then I, I, I have to tell you though, that, that the, 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 it probably the worst thing that has happened to the giants in years was that opening game against Dallas. I mean, I, I think it, I think it like knocked the whole season off kilter for them. And, and one of the things about that game was that Kolowinski was just terrible in in that game i mean his he, he just could not pass block to save his life 
in that game against the Dallas defensive line. And once that game was over, they just buried him on the bench. It's like it's like the Giants were, were, were more affected by that game or the Giants coaching staff was more affected by that game than they should have been, that they took that and just decided, okay, that's it for him. He's not, he's not playing anymore. And now, you know, basically, basically he only gets into the lineup that when they're going to a jumbo package and, uh, and, and the only reason he gets in the jumbo package or, you know, is, is that they don't have a, a third tight end that they can use to, to block on the, on the line, which is another strange thing about this team is the way the tight end room was constructed. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, you know, I think Glowinski is, is not nearly as bad as his, as his reputation among giants fans has been. And, 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 and as bad as the coaching staff seems to think that he is too. And, and again, I think it's, it's a moot point now because I doubt he'll back be, be back next year. Uh, They'll save money by not taking up the third year of his contract. But the fact is that they're going to have to sign someone. They're going to have to sign a veteran, I believe, somewhere to be on that team at, at the guard position. And, you know, we'll see what's what's available. But, yeah, it, his story as a giant has been very strange. Absolutely. Before we get off that topic, I will say that I agree with you. And I had written this a couple times at Big Blue View. The Giants have had to do a lot of shuffling on the offensive line due to injuries, but they have also made some unforced errors on the offensive line as well, to use a, a tennis term. And uh, the the decision to bench Glowinski after what was probably the worst game of his NFL career and throw Marcus McKethan to the Wolves when he was unprepared after never taking any snaps with the with the starters and after missing all of his rookie year and half of this year's training camp, that decision was very, very strange. One of the, for me, that cutting Tyree Phillips, not settling on the guard, on the guard situation earlier in camp to try to create some cohesiveness. Those, for me, were unforced errors. Um, in the comments, as we do this, Tony, we're getting some comments about Bobby Johnson. And as you said, I think the Giants need to look for another offensive line coach. Um, I, don't, I don't see, you know, Bobby Johnson work every single day. We don't see the meeting rooms. We don't see all of that. All we see is the results on the field. And to me, as you said, the results on the field haven't been good enough. It's it's impossible to say, as you said, that Evan Neal has gotten any better. It's impossible to say that, although I think John Michael Schmitz is, is going to be a good player, it's hard to say that he's gotten better from day one. Um, we're still seeing, and I don't know, maybe Sunday with the twists and the stunts, maybe that had something to do with Justin Pugh coming up with a quad injury last Friday. I don't know. Maybe he just couldn't move to pick those things up. And if he couldn't move, why was he Why was he playing? But it's disheartening to see communication errors in week 15, especially when this particular line has played together for a while. So I think... I think Bobby Johnson, I think maybe special teams, I think maybe a couple of other coaches. Honestly, I hope Wink Martindale comes back. 
I hope that I would like to see Mike Kafka come back, although I think Mike Kafka may move on on his own. But I also think we'll see some shuffling at the you know, with some of the other position coaches as well. Um, just your your quick thoughts on on the assistant coaches. So yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good list. And you know, I'll, I, you know, I'm I'm looking at the comments now, and yes, I I agree with with people that that replacing Bobby Johnson would would be a good idea. The only thing I will I will say about you know about comments that you that you always see you know on podcasts and Big Blue View on on Twitter and so on and so forth is that it's very easy to uh, say that you should get rid of somebody. Not so easy to figure out how you can replace them with with someone else. So you know you can throw out names like Munchak or Callahan or somebody like that, right? Who who would be right. great additions to the Giants, but. You don't know whether they're available. You don't know how much they. Those do. guys are going to have options. They, they're going to have. They're going to have options, right? You know, and and do they want to come to the to the Giants and 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 so on? So, uh, it's 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 not like it's not like uh, uh, you know just drafting where it's it's your turn and you can pick whoever's out there and and you you've got that that person. And so uh, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't we don't know. You know, who they might be thinking about if they are thinking at all about getting a new offensive line coach. I, I, I have to admit that if you're going to make an argument to keep Bobby Johnson, I don't know what that argument is because I don't think there's anything that you can point to from his two-year tenure with the Giants that suggests that he's doing a good job because as I said, there's been, I don't think there's been any improvement of any offensive lineman during his time here, and to me, that's 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 a, a, a an indictment of of his performance. It's either it's it's an indictment of someone's performance, right? If you have a line that's that bad for two years and doesn't seem to be getting better, then you either have to indict the offensive line coach or you have to indict the general manager who put together the offensive line. And so, you know, Joe Shane has seemed to manage to do some good things at other positions with draftees. And so is he just, does he just have blinders on when he and his staff uh, try to evaluate who'd be a good offensive lineman? You know, prob probably not. So, so I think the most likely culprit here is, is the offensive line coach. So I, I'm all for getting a new one. It's just that it's, it, it's not that easy. You have to find someone good who will take the job. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly hope that they do because, I feel that the offensive line has held this team back for years more than any other aspect of the team, including quarterback. And, I, you know, again, I, as I said earlier in the, in the pod, I absolutely believe the Giants should draft a quarterback in the first round if they have the opportunity to, to take one that they think is promising. Uh, but I still think that until they fix the offensive line, even a even a really good quarterback is not going to show out for them. Absolutely. I get asked all the time why the Giants haven't been able to fix the offensive line. And the reality of it is it's not that easy. The Giants have drafted guys in the first round, in the second round, in the third round. They've brought it, they've they've brought in some free agents. They've made some mistakes with some of the free agents that they brought in. But they've also had injuries. Weston Richburg was short-circuited by injuries. They've had situations where we're talking about 
coaching, but we've had situations where every two years there's a new head coach. There have been three general managers over the last several years. And what happens when you have all of that is you have turnover. You have constant change in the coaching staff. Sometimes you're able to get the the assistant coaches that you want. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you end up with, you know, with whoever happens to be available. You may not always have the coaching staff that you want. You may, and as you can ask Andrew Thomas, every time you get a new offensive line coach, you get a coach that wants different techniques employed. So you're constantly asking for something different. You're constantly looking for something different from your players. You don't have that continuity. And, you know, a lot of this may be, you may be able to lay it at the feet of Bobby Johnson. But the again, the problem is if you're not 100% sure of who you're bringing in as Bobby Johnson's replacement, you are once again asking your offensive line to to learn something different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but then, but this is naturally the, the, the situation they're stuck in. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think if they go to camp next year with Bobby Johnson, still as the offensive line coach, the questions are going to be as, as big as, <laughs> as they are now. I, mm-hmm. the only thing I can say is that, is that since they will have some free agent money to spend this year, um, it wouldn't surprise me if the offensive line is a place where they where they now spend a, a significant amount of money for the first time during the Joe Shane uh, era. As you say, they you know they got Glowinski because he was he was about as much as they could afford with the limited uh, ability he had he had to spend. But this year, if there's someone in the let's say ten to fifteen million dollar range for uh, an offensive lineman that that could be signed. Uh, you know, somebody like Kevin Zeitler, who uh, Dave Gettleman didn't want to pay twelve—I think it was twelve million dollars—to in order to to keep as a giant. <laughs> what would the Giants that look was, like, Kevin Zeitler? That was that was an unfortunate one. I think that was I think that was one of those, if I remember correctly, that was one of those cap deals where the Giants just didn't have a whole lot of choice. But but. And, and it was weird because Kevin Zeitler has played really, really well for the Baltimore Ravens for two years. And it's, you know, hindsight is always 2020, Tony. And you look at Kevin Zeitler before he came to the New York Giants, he was a terrific guard. Since he left the New York Giants, he's been a terrific guard. While he was with the New York Giants, he looked like a player who was beginning to slide. Is that on Kevin Zeitler? Is that on the giant on the offense that the Giants ran? Is that on the coaching and the schemes that were in, in place? I don't know. I couldn't blame Dave Gettleman at the time for letting Zeitler go, you know, as a cap move because he looked like a player who was on the backside of his career and wasn't worth that kind of money, but he certainly has made that move look bad. It certainly looks foolish for the Giants to have let a player like that go. But it's just one of the one of those deals. Was that was that on the way the Giants were, you know, were coaching the offensive line at the time? Who knows? And then the other thing I wonder, you know, is how much, uh, uh, especially an interior. Well, let's say anyone, but how much an uh, an offensive lineman's play is affected by the play of the guys on either side of him, right? Absolutely. And so, 
uh, you know, so if they, so, well, you know, let's assume that John Michael Schmitz going into year two is developing into a solid center. And then you've got Andrew Thomas next to him. Well, whoever the Giants plop down at left guard next year shouldn't probably shouldn't have that as too much of, of an excuse. And so you, you'd hope that that with with good coaching and if you find the right player, they could at least stabilize that side of, of the line. And uh, uh, the right side, obviously, is a bigger question since you don't even know what the situation is at right tackle, much less right guard going into next year. But w- whatever it is, obviously, the clock is ticking. Right. And so after after their first season, Dable and Shane had a tremendous amount of of equity. Uh, that that they could that that they could uh, spend since they they totally outperformed expectations. Now after this year, that equi- equity has been eaten up to a considerable extent. And going into year three, the the seat's going to start to get a little hotter if they don't start to show some improvement in some of these areas that were so deficient this year. And I think the offensive line has got to be high on that list. If if we have an, another performance from the OL in 2024 that's as bad as it was in 2023 then i mean i just don't know you know what you can say uh about right. about the coaching and the and the gm if they if they can't take strides they, you know they don't have to turn into the eagles offensive line by next year but but you'd hope that they could at least turn into an adequate offensive line Right. Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy, who's a friend of mine, always says what you really need on the offensive line are three studs and the ability to have enough good to, you know, decent players at the other two spots to fill in. And, and right now, I think the Giants have one stud, one possible stud in Schmitz and who knows what else they have. So, so yeah, they need at least one more really really good player on that line and you're right the uh the heat's going to start to get turned up next year because you can't you can't be a rebuilding team forever so we'll see if uh we'll see what next year brings and anyway tony we've got uh, we got three games left right three games left christmas coming up and so uh unfortunately the Giants will play at 4:30 on Christmas Day, which screws up Christmas Day for for everybody. Yeah. Man. So well, having the Giants play the Eagles on Christmas Day always always looked like a bad bad deal from my standpoint, regardless of of uh, what was happening. But yeah, yeah, I certainly don't look forward to that. The only the only silver lining is that now that game is is for all intents and purposes meaningless for the giants. And so uh, if, you know, if you wanted to ruin your Christmas dinner, you could imagine them having one yesterday and then be counting on that game to actually, actually really catapult them into the, into the wild card conversation. And now you don't have to worry about that that at all. (laughs) They've ruined my Christmas dinner anyway, because Christmas dinner at my son's house is at five Mm o'clock. So, so that means, that means my wife will be bringing me a plate. Yep, I'll be I'll be uh, at my sister's house at three o'clock uh, next uh, on on Christmas Day. So yeah, we'll be having dinner right about the time the game happens. <laughs> All right, Giants fans, I think we're gonna call it a call it a day there. Thank you as always for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.